Well, good morning. <laughs> hey, I know there's going to be people coming in and finding chairs. Hopefully we have enough chairs for everyone. Well, it's, uh, it's really good to see all of you this weekend again. Kind of a big weekend around here, and so it's been a lot of excitement this weekend. Uh, hey, did anybody, anybody go for a walk on Thursday, the first day we had clean air for a while? I did too. It was crazy. My neighbors were talking to me. You know, I was out walking with Theo, and they were like, oh, it's a nice day for a walk, isn't it? And I was like, hey, you've never talked to me before. Everyone's so excited about the clean air, and it feels like fall today. I'm excited. We already have pumpkins on our porch, which is exciting. I love fall, so I'm, I'm super excited. I like summer too, don't get me wrong. I just, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, and the rain is welcome here. <laughs> so, uh, hey, well, I'm glad to see you again this weekend uh, like this. Uh, this weekend, we're going to finish uh, the book of Joel. Uh, we started this last weekend, and we'll finish it this weekend. I think this might be like an all-time quickest series ever in the life of Gateway. Uh, and so... We're going to be diligent to do that. And before we do, uh, and as people are kind of still coming in, I want to just back up and go through just kind of who is Joel and what did we talk about last, last time, because I think it might be a little confusing if, if we don't. Uh, but real quick, you know, we are in the time of, of Israel's history, and uh, they, the, the kingdom of Israel is divided and during this time, the, the prophets are, are beginning to, to tell people, hey, turn back to God. And this is because uh, the people just have a lot of bad habits, like idolatry and being just really lukewarm. And uh, there's, there's all kinds of problems. A number of the kings uh, were, were particularly evil. Uh, it was actually a really dark time in history during, during, many, of these, uh, during many of these eras. And, and through this time, uh, the prophets begin to tell the people to turn back to God. Now, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel falls in 722 BC, and that leaves just Judah. There's 10 tribes up north, and there's only two in the south. And Joel is there, and he's telling the people to turn back to God, because Israel has already fallen, and now Judah is making a lot of the same mistakes, and they're just going in a similar way, and, he's, and he sees the same problems. And so we talked about some of those last week. We talked about how the people were, were apathetic and lukewarm, and so what the Lord had done is he had plagued the land with locusts. Just like he did in Egypt, there was this locust plague. And so Joel goes, uh, and, and he, he's telling the people in his writing to, to turn back to God. If they want to get rid of the, the locust problem, and, and what the locust problem represented, which was God's judgment. And it, it was a warning to the people that, that soon it was about to be much worse than just locust. And it reminds me of, of kind of our environment right now, because uh, the end of chapter one says it was so bad, the locust had eaten the ground so badly and the tree so badly it was so just white and dead and raw that the land was just catching on fire. Uh, so sort of like a, the Northwest right now. And so Joel tells the people to do a few things if they want to get out from this. 
The first thing he tells them to do is that they need to listen to God. They need to listen to his words. Uh, They need to to raise the alarm and they they need to really be serious about listening to the Lord and, and hearing what he has to say. Secondly, he tells the people to be sensitive. Be sensitive to the word and and to let the word of the Lord penetrate them in a deep way that would change their lives. Uh, And and the last thing is is he tells them to seek seek God or or even better to, to return back to God. And he said, because God is gracious and he's merciful. He reminds the people that the Lord loves them. And, and, and then we kind of ended our time last time talking about that, that if they would do these things, that the Lord would restore their land, that the Lord would renew uh, their friendship with him, and that they would know that he was the one and true living God. This was for the good of the people, and, and this, was, uh, this was for their benefit. All of these things were. Uh, and so uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to finish the book. Uh, we're at the end of chapter two, if you're following along. And what Joel's going to do today is he's going to look way into the realm of history. And he's going to tell the people what they can expect in future generations. And so uh, first he sort of talks about this, this age of the spirit and, and one day when the spirit would be poured out on all people. And then he looks even farther into the history and and he tells people about uh, what things will be like one day when when the Lord judges with perfect justice and and what things will be like for those who find their shelter in the Lord now and those while while there's still time who find friendship with the Lord. So before we dive in today, uh, let's just go ahead and pray and uh, then we're going to Uh, talk about uh, three ways that God steps in uh, for us and and that we can expect to see him uh, fulfill his promises. So let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we do just love you today, Lord. We thank you for uh, just the book of Joel. And and Lord, even though it's kind of a dark time in history, uh, Lord, uh, you were doing so much in the lives of the people. Lord, there are so many wonderful promises about your character here, Lord. And today, Lord, I just pray that you would free our minds, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, and that we might be those today who would choose to listen to you, choose to be sensitive to you, Lord, and, and choose to seek your face today, Lord. Won't you just make us ready for that, Lord, today and and help us to hear your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, uh, last week I spent some time telling you about our our son, Theo, and how we're constantly deciding uh, when we need to step in for him. And uh, and sometimes we have to step in right away, and other times we we want him to learn things for himself. Uh, One of the things he's learning right now is to be gentle with the animals, and so, uh, you know, that's kind of been a a learning curve for him, and, and we wait sometimes before we step in a little bit. But the reality of that situation is... Uh, is that usually we do end up stepping in. And and the reason why is because there's things that he can't do that we just have to do for him. One of the things he loves to do is he loves to climb. Uh, He is definitely an almost two-year-old boy with fully functional legs. And so one of the things he loves to do is climb anything. We actually, at our house, I kid you not, we have uh, our chairs bungee corded to our table. Uh, Because if we don't, he will scoot our chairs out and he will climb on the chair and then he'll just be dancing on the table, right? Uh, And and the bad thing about all of this is that he doesn't necessarily always know how to get down. And by that I mean he like never knows how to get down from these places he gets up on. So one of the things this means is that, uh, so Theo is just now kind of getting to the point where he's he's brave enough to, to both climb 
up the slide and go down the slide. But for the months before now, it's been that he'll climb up the slide and then he's way too afraid to go down the slide. So then what he does is he turns around and he tries to go back down the steps. Now, most of the time he can't actually do it, uh, but he gets so freaked out that he'll try anyway, so I kind of have to catch him on his way down. Uh, and Theo really likes to slide. So I was thinking about this the other day. I, I was trying to figure out if there's a slide on like this side of Clark County that I haven't been on with him. Because uh, I often have to go up after him and sliding still kind of fun, turns out. Uh, and so, uh, so he climbs up things all the time. Uh, some time ago we were at Chick-fil-A and they have like this big play structure in their, uh, in their restaurant and and so kind of against my better judgment, even though Theo's still pretty young at this point, I'm like, yeah, go on up there. And, and sure enough, he does. They have these big, giant stairs uh, going up. And, and he, uh, I was like, you know, hey, uh, just go slow and let me put my shoes, because they, they have a cubby for your shoes. I thought that was neat. So I was putting my shoes away, and I, I turn around, and he's already, like, up at the very top. And, uh, and, and of course, then he doesn't know what to do. And then they have these, like, plastic tubes in there that you can go in. And I think if, if you're 33, you'll just get stuck in them. So I didn't want him to go in there and then, you know, for me to get stuck trying to get him out. So I went up there with them to try to catch him before he got in the tubes. And, and I, I go up there and, and then we're kind of looking around because it's kind of neat up there. It turns out I'm reliving my childhood. And, uh, and then I, I noticed that the door opens and this little girl uh, comes in too with her dad. And he's smart. So he's got his phone out and he goes and sits in the corner and the little girl comes in. And, uh, and so she climbs up, you know, she puts her shoes in the little cubby, and, and she climbs up this thing. And I don't know the last time any of you here were in a play structure, but generally meeting kids that you don't know in a play structure is weird. Because uh, you're, you're old, and so they don't like you. And, uh, and it's just kind of weird. And so she walks in, and I'm kind of nervous, and I'm thinking, this is, this is just weird, and our food's probably going to come out soon. So I'm just going to go ahead and grab Theo, and we're going to get out of here. And just then, the door opens, and like five other kids run in at one time. And the other thing you should know about like these play structures is kids move like abnormally fast in them. I have no idea how it's possible, and they like backflip in there. It's just crazy, right? And so I'm in there, and there's this, there's this girl in there, and she's already kind of giving me the eye, like, who are you? And I'm kind of looking at her like, it doesn't matter, you know? And, and, and so all these other kids uh, run in too, and, and now I'm feeling weird. So I, I go to pick up Theo because I'm like, hey, let's go, and I'm trying to help him down the stairs, but of course, he wants to stay in place. So I have to pick him up. So I pick him up, and when I do, somehow this little girl is behind me, and her face is right here. And so I, I pick him up, and of course, uh, I accidentally make like really direct contact with her nose. And I feel it, right? So I have now elbowed a little girl in the face whom I don't know, and I don't think she likes me, and I don't know if I like her, right? And so, uh, so I sort of say, uh, hey, sorry, uh, it's probably okay. You know, I don't, I don't know what to say. This is weird for both of us now. And she starts crying, and her dad doesn't really notice because there's like a million kids in the play structure. And so one of them is always crying, right? So who knows if it's his. And so she goes down to her dad and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be good. So I grab Theo and I'm like, well, maybe she won't really say anything, you know? So I grab Theo and we're kind of trying to get down these stairs. And I see her and she's like, Ooh, and she's like looking back at me, right? 
And then I see it happen, and she looks at me, and she points, and her dad's like, what's going on? And, and he's a big guy, so this is, uh, this, is, <laughs> this is now gone from kind of like bad to worse, and I'm starting to panic a little bit. So I grabbed Theo. The, the short ending to the story is we just got out of there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I have to tell you, I would do it all over again uh, because when Theo gets stuck, uh, somebody has to go get him. And so we often find ourselves stepping in for Theo in a way that, that he can't do for himself. Uh, and there's, you know, there's lots of other stories like that about, you know, cars and traffic and electrical things that he just should never touch, but they're around. And so sometimes, uh, so it's, sometimes we have to step in. Uh, and that's kind of what the end of Joel is about today. It, it's about how God steps in for people in a way that that we can't step in for ourselves. It's about how God takes care of us in a way that that we can't take care of for ourselves. And and, and so uh, so we're going to talk about a prophecy today that's that's going to be really familiar to you uh, because it's used in, in the New Testament in a pretty substantial way. Uh, so the first way God steps in for us is that God steps in for everyone. He has this way that that He has made salvation possible to anybody who would believe in his name and and anybody who would confess him as Lord. He has stepped in on all mankind's behalf for anybody who would call him Savior. And, And Joel kind of sees thousands of years ago, part of what this is going to look like. And this is going to sound familiar, but let's read it anyway. It says, then after doing those things, and we've been talking about restoring the land of Judah and reversing all that the locusts have done. It says, after doing those things, one day I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on servants, men, Men and women alike, the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some in Mount Zion and Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said, there will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. So there's a lot of stuff in here to kind of pull out. And if you're looking at your Bible too, uh, one is that, that the Lord is going to pour out his spirit. It means like literally like pour out, like, like spill out. It's going to overflow onto people. And, and this happens sometimes in the Old Testament, like, like in the book of Judges, when somebody is getting raised up to do something that they would never be able to do without the, the help of the Lord that was miraculous. The Lord would would pour out his spirit or or for King David in, in some really mighty ways at the beginning of his ministry had a very special kingdom with the Lord and the Lord made promises to David that his kingdom would would endure and, and so he pours out his spirit. So the people would have known about the idea of God pouring out his spirit. They just wouldn't have ever thought to apply it to, to their lives. And so here he was saying that, uh, that their people, their sons and their daughters uh, were, were going to receive this, this Holy Spirit. It was going to be poured out on them. Secondly, that this was a really diverse group of people, right? This was men and women. They were old and they were young. It was slave and it was master. It was rich and poor. There were no boundaries, right? The Lord was going to pour out his spirit in a way that, that how would he even do these things, uh, it was supernatural, 
This wasn't just a way that the Lord was going to make us all more moral. This wasn't in a way that the Lord was going to somehow just let us know that he exists. No, this included dreams and visions. And, and this was something that, that there were going to be wonders in, in the earth. And, and sort of the, the prophetic classic way of saying that this is going to be of the Lord. This is going to be something that, that you wouldn't be able to imagine apart from the Lord. And, and lastly, that this is just, this is for all people, that, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But then it kind of ends on this weird note, and it says uh, that there's going to be these survivors, right? That, that people are going to endure through time somehow. And, and this is kind of weird too, because on the one hand, Joel seems to be saying that, that the, the people of God, think back to Abraham, that they're going to be a blessing for all the nations, and you kind of get this sense again that the Lord is going to do something really big, but then somehow there's going to be like these little survivors. So do the people get bigger or, or do they get smaller? I found myself kind of wondering. And actually what happens at this time in Judah, sort of the ending of Judah as a kingdom is pretty sad because the Babylonian empire rises up at this time and it's very powerful and they, they come in and, and they take the people away as exiles. Now, this is a big deal. This is a dark day for the people of Judah uh, because it means a few things. For one thing, it means that uh, they have uh, lost their land, right? It's just not their land to, to own anymore. This is the promised land. They've held on to this land through generations, through, through good times and bad times, and now they're being taken away from it. Uh, the sacrificial system, the, the temple is destroyed. Uh, so the Levitical system was, was, was interrupted, and there was no more Davidic king. Uh, this was a dark time in history. And, and you might, for a minute, just sort of picture the dark days that the people of Judah were about to endure. And yet, at the very darkest time in life, the, the Lord is working in the most profound ways. And, and this is something I've found myself relating to quite a bit in my own life. When I've gone through particularly dark seasons, no, no matter what they were, uh, that the Lord was often doing something that I didn't know about. He was doing something I didn't quite understand. Uh, but he was faithful. And I, I know if you think about the dark times in your life too, and some of the things you've gone through in your life, uh, you could probably on the other side of it come back and go, man, God was really faithful to me. God was always faithful to his people. It's during this time that prophetic uh, words get really exciting. It's during this time that Jeremiah begins to talk about a new covenant that's going to come one day. And he tells the people, exile's going to last a while. Go ahead, build a house, build a garden. But there's going to come a day when the Lord's going to make a new covenant and he's going to write his law on your heart. It's during this time that Ezekiel begins to say that, that there's going to be a shepherd that's going to come and it's going to be God himself and he's going to come. He's going to gather his people. The, the, there's, a, there's a servant that's going to come and somehow by his wounds we'll be healed. So for us today in 2018, we can look back at this and, and kind of put the pieces together. We know that hundreds of years later that there was a man from Nazareth who was God himself and he was 100% person, 100% God, and he lived out the law perfectly. Because darkness hates the light, people killed him on a cross and he bled and he died as a sacrifice for our sins. 
And that wasn't all. He, he rose on the third day because death couldn't hold him. And, and uh, shortly after he rises and, and then ascends uh, to heaven, uh, the believers in the New Testament are gathered and, and they're, they're worshiping on the day of Pentecost. And it, it says that there's this story that they're all gathered together and there's this sound like this mighty rushing wind. And then the people see these tongues like fire, something that's really hard for the writer to explain. They descend on these people and, and they begin to talk in tongues that are only possible to talk in through the Holy Spirit. And nobody knows what's going on. And, and so people begin to say, well, they're all drunk. And Peter says, no, no, they're not. And, and you know what he does? He goes back to the prophet Joel. And he reads almost verbatim this, this prophecy that one day the Lord will pour out his spirit on all people. All who call upon his name will be saved. And he explains some things to, to the Israelites too, or uh, to the people here too. He says, uh, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And Jesus talked about that quite a bit in John 14 through 16. He talks a lot about this advocate, this helper he's going to send. And he has poured out, there's that term again, poured out what you now see and hear. You know, this is really exciting. I think, you know, so often we take the Holy Spirit for granted and we forget the miraculous nature of the Holy Spirit. We forget, uh, it's, it's easy to forget the hundreds of years of planning and, and the deliberate uh, plan that the Lord had to, to bring salvation uh, to where his people could be a blessing to all people, to the ends of the earth. Uh, and, and that the Holy Spirit isn't just this nice thing. It's, it's the very Spirit of God. And we know throughout the New Testament as it fills it out that, that it works, that, that he works in our weakness. We know as, as Pastor Bill talked about earlier that he intercedes for us with words that are, are with groans that are too deep for words. Have you ever been so profoundly at a loss you didn't even know what to say? You wanted to pray, you just didn't have the words to pray? Well, the good news is that the Lord is so close that his very spirit dwells within us and he's interceding on our behalf and we bear his fruit, a love that we could never have apart from God, a peace that we could never, even in the darkest time, a peace that we could never have apart from the Lord. This is only done through Jesus. This only happens through Jesus. As a matter of fact, later on in Acts 2, people are moved by this and they're amazed by this. And they, they ask, well, well, what do we do? And he says, well, repent and be baptized and, and you can have this, this Holy Spirit too. Uh, Paul makes use of this. I think he draws on it uh, frequently in his ideas. But in Romans 10, he says, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And he richly blesses all who call on him, 
For everyone, he goes back to Joel, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news for us today. And it's, it's I think, the very heart of, of the Lord's heart of the gospel. And, and I, it's, it's good news that it doesn't stay in these walls. It doesn't just stay in our oikos. It, it doesn't just stay in our personal lives or in our devotional times. It doesn't just stay in, in our marriages, but, but this is something that's expanding and it's, it's for everyone. And, and you and I today are called to be a light to the nations because we have the very spirit of God dwelling and interceding inside of us. Um, that's pretty good news. It's a pretty big way that the Lord steps in in a way we could never step in for ourselves. Uh, secondly, that the Lord steps in with perfect justice. Now, what Joel does in, in this book is, is he goes beyond this even. And he looks into the very end of human history and, and a little bit about what it will be like. And, and he talks about God's perfect justice. And to do this, he talks about the fact that God's in control and that he exercises perfect justice. He talks about that God's justice is perfect in his timing, and that in God's control and in God's perfect, uh, in his perfect justice, that he is a refuge for you and I today. So, so first of all, we're going to kind of read through the first half of this chapter. Uh, it says, uh, and, and he begins to kind of call out the nations and gather the nations, and, and he tells them that, that uh, They've wronged his people, and then he gets specific, and he says, Now what do you have against me, Tyre and Sidon, and, and you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I've done? If you're paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you've done. You took my silver and my gold, and you carried off the finest of treasure to your temples. And you sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks." So kind of some of these nations he calls out here do meet their decline. Uh, the, the end of Tyre uh, is specifically kind of brutal. Um, and, and the point, I think, isn't to get too caught up on, on who these people exactly were. And there's a lot of different theories on when they did these things and, and uh, when God was going to pay them back or if he has already. The whole point of this is that the Lord doesn't miss anything. Nothing gets past him. He, he doesn't just not know what's going on with his people. He loves his people and he pays attention to what happens to them. Uh, a few years ago, quite a few years ago, uh, I was engaged to this girl named Anna. I like her a lot these days. Uh, and I, I lived in Eugene and she lived in Portland. And, and I would drive up and I would see her on the weekends uh, whenever I had enough gas to do it. And uh, this one time I was driving and I was driving through Salem and I was going a few miles over the speed limit. Uh, and there was this Prius that was in front of me. And this was like, I don't know, back when Priuses were still kind of coming out. And I made assumptions about everyone who drives a Prius. I don't know. And, and I was driving and I was getting closer and I was antsy. I was antsy to see Anna. And uh, so I was driving a little fast. And, and then I, I didn't want to pass because we're going right through Salem where all the police are and, and all that stuff. And so... I just felt like maybe he was doing this thing that people do sometimes where you slow down a little bit, you know, and then you get a little closer and they slow down a little 
Has anyone ever done this? Has anyone ever been to something like this? Okay, so this whole thing happens, and finally, you know, the speed limit's 60, and we're going like 57, and I'm upset, right? Because I'm in a hurry, and I've got places to be. Uh, and so I eventually decide, well, I will just slowly go back to the speed limit and pass him carefully, right? And so I do, and he speeds up, back to 60, right? And then I'm like, well, I've got two choices. I can either be okay with this or just pass him. So of course, I'm going to just pass him. So I speed up to like mm, 63. And then I happen that to, to notice that conveniently, he also speeds up to 63, right? I didn't know Priuses could go that fast. So, <laughs> so I speed up to like 65. And then he speeds up to 65. Now I'm driving an old Toyota, so I downshift into fourth gear, and I just put it down. So I get up to like 70. Apparently Priuses can go 70, right? And, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're, we're going like way over the speed limit. And we're like in this race and, and I'm, I'm sweating and, and I'm, I'm in the moment, right? And we take this corner and there's an undercover officer <laughs> uh, right there and he radars me and I get pulled over. And he didn't even ask me what happened. And I wanted him to tell him that, that I don't like Priuses and that this guy antagonized me and it wasn't all my fault. But he didn't even ask me any questions. He just said, you're going too fast. And he was right. I was going too fast. So then uh, I, I got a court date, right? And I was going like, I don't know, 20-something over the speed limit by this time. And so it was more than I could really afford. And so I went into the judge, and there was like this long line of people. And one after the other, they've all been caught in the, by this, I don't know, undercover people in this area. So they, they go up to him, and he's like, oh, you're going, you know, this much over the, the speed limit. And he, he asks him, well, do you want to take the class, or do you want the full fine? Right? And so I'm thinking, you know, for me, it's going to be different. I will, like, somehow schmooze this guy. I will get him to like me. And he just mows through, like, four people. And finally, it's my turn. And they go up to the judge, and he looks at me, and he's like, mm, 20 whatever over. Do you want the class, or do you want the full ticket? And I was like, well, how much off is the ticket if I take the class? Which I don't have time. Nobody has time to take a class, right? Uh, and it was like something like $20 off or something. I mean, the fine was almost $300. And um, so I said, well, I'll, I'll just take the ticket. And then I, I was like, well, well when's he going to ask me what happened, right? He never did. That was it, right? So I had to, to pay this $300 ticket. Uh, luckily, you know, the Lord isn't like that. He knows our hearts. He knows our every situation. He knows the whole story. And most importantly, that, that once we are enter into a, a right relationship with the Lord, he just sees his righteousness anyway. But the Lord is a perfect judge. And we need justice uh, in our world today. It doesn't take too long watching the news to know that we need justice. And it's especially worse when um, some of these nations mentioned uh, all run into each other. And, and it's just a, a dark world that way. Uh, but he's in control and it's in his timing. Uh, he continues to say this, let the nations be called the arms. Let them march into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And that just means that Yahweh has judged. There I, the Lord, will sit to pronounce judgment on them all. Swing the sickle, the harvest is ripe. Come tread the grapes, the wine press is full. The storage vats are overflowing with the wickedness of people. He's patient. And he watches. And there's a day when, when we can choose. There's, there's still time and we can choose to follow the Lord. And we can, we can choose to have his spirit. But, but there is a day when these things run out. 
there is a day when the wickedness is overflowing. And God in his perfect timing says that there will just be a day when he gathers the nations and presides with perfect justice. Knowing each and every person. Knowing the whole story. And there's good news for you and I. The good news is this, is that God is our refuge. In this time where the people of the Lord, they're they're not affected by these things. He says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And this is the valley where the Lord is making decision. He's presiding judgment over people. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. We've seen this again and again in Joel. But the Lord is a refuge for his people. He's a stronghold to the people of Israel. This is good news for us, that that one day that the Lord is a refuge for us. And also, we know this to be true, that he's a refuge for us now too. Uh, I love uh, Psalm 46.1. It says that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I don't know if you've ever had an enemy. I don't know if anyone's ever been out to get you. I, I generally don't have a lot of enemies because I don't, I don't know, I, I like people and usually I can get them to like me a little bit. But uh, the first church I was a youth pastor at way back, I was 23 years old and there's this, there this lady and I had offended her daughter and, uh, and she just, she had it out for me and it was really bad. And actually she started texting me and calling me and she would say these horrible things to me. Like, like you better go talk to the pastor and the elders before I do because I'm gonna make sure you don't have a place at our church. I mean, it was, it was awful. And, and I was terrified because I was 23 and it was like my first job and I thought I had broke the universe. And, um, and I remember, uh, I remember just learning about what it meant for the Lord to be my refuge. It's amazing how many times actually, when I look through the history of, of my, my short years, I'm only 33, but I look at the, the things I've faced and, and some of the people that, that have attacked the church or they have attacked me or, or they, they have attacked people I love. And it's an amazing how, how God is, is both a refuge and you find peace in those dark times. But it's amazing how sometimes he just works things out. That, that lady just kind of stopped. She just sort of got over it. I don't know how. We never talked about it. It just kind of blew over. Uh, and and that's, that's happened uh, before in my life. Uh, the last way that God steps in is that he steps in forever. Uh, he doesn't just uh, step in for a little bit. Uh, he dwells with us forever. Uh, Joel ends his book like this. He says, Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, uh, live in Zion. I, the Lord your God, live in Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy forever, and foreign armies will never again conquer her. In that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk. Uh, water will fill the stream beds of Judah, and a fountain will burst forth from the Lord's temple, watering the arid valley of the Acacias. But Egypt will become a wasteland and Edom will become a wilderness. But, the, uh, but Judah will be filled with people forever and Jerusalem will endure through all generations. And I, the Lord, will make my home in Jerusalem with my people. Now, uh, there's a lot we could go into here, but the important things to know are this, that, that one day there's gonna come a time when things are sorted out. 
One day there's gonna come a time, Revelation talks about martyrs who, who are in heaven and they're crying out for their, their blood to be avenged. There's gonna come a day when the Lord sorts things out and, and will be protected in his refuge. And no longer will people attack. No longer will evil be able to enter. There will be a day when the, word, when the Lord works all things together for his ultimate good. And way back thousands of years ago, just how prophets saw the age of Jesus and, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they, they all seem to agree that there's going to be an ultimate day when we all meet the Lord face to face. And, and, and as Paul says, that, that each of us will give an account and, and the Lord will sort and he will separate and he will protect. Now, this is the end of the book. For the Lord dwells in Zion and it just represents a place where he reigns and he rules and I like that it says that the Lord didn't use to dwell in Zion before the people went into exile it doesn't say that the Lord will dwell in Zion one day when we're all dead it says that the Lord continuously presently now dwells in Zion it it doesn't matter how dark times get it doesn't matter how bad things get. The, the, the Lord is a refuge. That doesn't change. Uh, the fact that he has stepped in for all humankind in a way that only he can do, that doesn't change. And, and also what doesn't change is that one day the Lord will sort out everything and we'll just be with him. And, and that's the living hope of the gospel. Uh, not only is he our refuge and our protector now, but he's our refuge and our protector forever. Uh, we go through dark times in life. Uh, personally, as a nation, as a world, we go through dark times and, and those times won't last forever. Um, one day the Lord will sort things. And that's really the good news of the book of Joel uh, is that in, in a dark time in Israel, in Judah, when things were gonna get even darker, much worse before they got better, things were indeed gonna get better. Much better than the people could have ever imagined and they will get better still yet. Um, it's good news, Joel. Uh, let's pray, and then uh, we'll be uh, dismissed. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just uh, give you praise for your word and for your promises, Lord. Uh, we know you fulfill your promises, Lord. We know uh, that, that you have good for, for those who trust you, Lord. And So today I pray that you would just give us the strength to trust you. Lord, in our dark times, in, in our painful times, in our, in our times of great turmoil, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to seek you as our refuge. And Lord, that your spirit would give peace to those who have anxiety. You would give joy to those who have sorrow. And Lord, I pray today that you would instill in us the hope that we can trust you no matter what's going on in our lives. Thank you for the good news of your word, Lord. And most of all, Lord, today, I just thank you for stepping in in a way that only you can step in. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for you, Lord. In your name, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.